What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Dope and Tape Show. This this episode is 69. Super, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I can't believe, I can't even talk. Like, I'm so excited to have you on here. <laughs> we have the legend, uh, at least here for Atlanta. I know tons of people know him worldwide uh, for his fire pump knowledge. I call him when I when I'm stumped and with everybody else uh, that I would normally call, but if it's something super technical and I'm like, I got nothing, I call wills. And I think everybody else does. This is wills lacrosse. He's here in Atlanta. This is base. Thank goodness. Uh, Cause I use the, I use them a lot. So uh, I'm so glad you're here. Well, glad to be here in my good stuff in my living room, <laughs> hanging out. Yeah. So, um, what got you started? Who usually in this industry someone brings you in? Yeah, well, when you go from the video industry, which I used to have video stores, they went down. And in 1999, uh, while the video stores were in in a decline, um, I had a call from an old friend, and he said, "Hey, I need somebody. My guy's sick. Can you can you go do a startup for me, a commissioning?" I said, "Yeah, sure, uh, but I, I can't remember any of this stuff." And he said, no, it's like riding a bike. So uh, I said, well, uh, where's it at? And he says, oh, it's over in Africa. And I said, uh, how much does it pay? And he says, $1,000 a day. I said, uh, how long will it be? And he said, three days. I said, done. Nice. Give me a plane ticket. So uh, that's when I came back into the industry. I when, when when I got out of school, I went to directly to work for Patterson Pump. So where did you go to school? Uh, I went to George Tech okay. and uh, got an engineering degree. And when I got out, then I went to Patterson Pump and worked as their sales engineer for about seven and a half years. Wow. Until they fired me. But, uh, you know, that's another story. I went to work yeah. for another pump company for two years. And then after that, I went to work for a nuclear consulting firm to get my engineering, uh, wow. you know, degree, you know, satisfied. You know, I said, well, I'm just doing sales stuff. And you know, but I, I'm not using my engineering degree. So I, I went out and uh, joined a, a firm that was nuclear consulting firm. And at that time, nuclear was going down and they wanted a pump guy. So I was their pump man uh, for a couple of years before I got laid off. Wow. And then we got right on into video stores, was in video stores for years until that started to go down. And uh, then I got this telephone call, uh, which was, you know, kind of nice. Uh, but the, you know, the show was... Uh, go over there for three days, push some buttons, and uh, it's it's all set, ready to go. Went over there, and they said, "We're glad to have you here. You can solve a problem for us." <laughs> and I said, "Oh no, what what did I uh, walk into? I was there for three weeks. Three weeks. Didn't mind. Thousand dollars a day. That's not bad. Let's and go." And when I came back, I, I told the guy, "I said, um, you know, if you feel like I did a good job, uh, this is kind of a little bit more fun than." you know, finding people movies to watch, uh, in, in the yeah. video store. And so, uh, he said, well, uh, I will fix you up maybe two or three times a year and I'll send you to exotic places to solve problems and, and, uh, you know, be my service guy. And so I did that for, um, 20 years until about, until COVID came up. Mm. And, um, so right after that, the video stores went away and I said, geez, there sure would be nice if I could do this you know, stay busy in between uh, these, you know, these, these magical trips all over the world. And uh, so then I started doing local servicing on fire pumps. Well, I figured that when I got up to that hundredth pump that maybe I could figure out how to really do a good packing. <laughs> and uh, so I am up to well over 6,000 now that I've, I've done, whether it be 6, packing or, you know, bearings or, you know, uh, testing alignment just whatever so now six thousand every week six thousand over six thousand wow. so when i call him um when i have a like a super technical question i will first tell him the pump that i'm talking about because he's pretty much touched every pump in georgia you would think so but yeah uh, i i have a feeling just the atlanta area would probably have like fifteen thousand. i think probably fifteen thousand, maybe twenty thousand in the state of georgia so I don't feel like I've even scratched the service on, on all the pumps in Georgia. Wow. And some of mine have been repeats, you know, for the annual testing and stuff. So, but, um, you know, if you, if you like what you're doing and and I do, it's, it's, it's always a challenge. And I always like to, to hear um, of other people having issues with, with problems. I always, you know, feel like 
there's there's more to more to learn and more to know so yeah at this point with repacking do you do you take the bonnet off now the time yeah when you're repack? doing packing it, it depends on the customer um typically yes yeah that's what you want to do if you're going to do a packing job you want to take we call it the you know the top part of the casing uh the upper casing okay. you always take the upper casing off and the reason why is because you never know if there's going to be a rock in there mm. and you can evaluate the uh dimensions on the rings you can you can see everything so to speak okay. so if yeah. you have it if you have a choice you always take the you know top head off and getting the uh using packing pullers is very difficult to get past the lantern ring in fact most all the times no, you don't you do it. Get, you yeah. leave that back ring yeah. in there. Right. Well, there, it's a brass ring that, either brass or Teflon ring. They call it a lantern yeah. ring. And um, uh, normally there's corrosion underneath it, and you cannot pull that out. So no. yeah. you have a choice. If you're going to do a good packing job, yeah, you want to take the top off. Now, there are uh, other types of pumps, vertical inlines, and you have Armstrong, AC, and SPP have cartridge mounts. So you can, it doesn't benefit you at all to take the top off. And so you will always use packing pillars on those, on those units. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so how do you, how can you tell which is which? Uh, it's fairly easy. Um, the cartridge mount uh, has a, is, uh, has a circle around the, the packing. Uh -huh. So, and if you just look at it, you say, oh, if I take the top off, there's a piece of metal right there. Yeah. And uh, so you say, well, there's, it wouldn't do us any good. So. But it's fairly easy uh, to determine the, the mm -hmm. you know the difference, and vertical inlines and vertical turbine pumps, they're all uh, you know done by packing pullers. And Have you ever worked on a steam pump? Um, I've seen them. You've yeah. seen them, yeah, but I haven't seen any that have actually been running <clears throat> and steam-driven uh, fire pumps. There's still some here in the state of Georgia. And, I've uh, heard of people seeing them. Yeah. But it's like, but they never. Generally, the old mills and stuff. You know, you have old cotton mill, old, um, you know, some some old mill, uh, you know, by a stream of some sort. Okay. Um, but there's there's several that are still out there, but I don't think there's any running. I've only you seen some photos. How... Yeah, yeah, but it cannot get too high of a GPM. I mean, oh, I well, wouldn't think steam it's, could push. It's, it's steam driven, so. So about five hundred? No, you can you can get just any size. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they had um, back then with the boilers and stuff. You can you can have uh, fifty horsepower, hundred horsepower, hundred and fifty horsepower. Takes a lot of steam, but yeah, it's a lot of steam. Yeah, were... ever, at this point, with like six thousand pumps that you worked on, do you ever feel like you've gotten overwhelmed? Uh, no, pump job uh, you know now it's it's kind of fun when you when you find a problem that you've never heard before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool. That that doesn't happen. To <laughs> too often yeah. maybe it should i wish it would right but you know well, you'd be surprised that if you have a pump with just one spinning part it's amazing how many different problems you can have with just one pump with that's just true one i never part. thought about that way well you that's know, so, so we could actually get a couple questions going for anyone who's joining this is wills lacrosse a fire pump expert from georgia uh over brian's house so we have Everybody in the chat saying hi. Daryl, Amy, Chad, Tom, Mildred, Florencio, Annette, Bradley, Kenneth, everybody. NFPA 25 Inspector, thank you guys for joining us. Don't forget to hit the like button. If you're not already, please subscribe. And if you have any fire pump questions um, or any questions at all, hit them in the, hit them in the chat and I'll read them out loud um, in, between, in between stories. Thank you guys for watching. Sorry, I just had to get that in there, guys. No, no, absolutely. There's no, 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 no problem. So, I mean, I yeah, do. When have... I was over there, no, I'm sorry. I have, I have one question. If we wanted to do a question. Yeah, yeah. what you got? Fire away. Oh, <laughs> I think his baby's going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, my baby's going to sleep. Um, so the question that I got from Steve was, how hot is acceptable for a fire pump packing to reach during churn? Okay. Um. Whether it's at churn or whether you're flowing water doesn't matter. Uh, that that whole area um, doesn't change in temperature. But uh, temperature, um, typically, if it's 135 to 140 degrees, if it's too hot to touch, if you touch it and you go, ow, that's generally too hot. Now, is the, will the packing be okay with it? Yeah, the packing. Some of the packing that people use are good up to 600 degrees. So, 
yeah, that's a lot hotter than than what we would want the packing to be. But typically, the packing should be uh, hot, but not uh, but not anything over one thirty five. One thirty five is a good, you know, if you touch it, and you woof, it's hot. Then it's really you need more lubrication in that area. Now, packing will uh, achieve a packing set, uh, and generally the packing will be cooler. Uh, you can you can always touch the glands. Uh, some pumps are different. If you have a high speed 3600 RPM or big shaft mm -hmm. diameter, you'll have more issues with your packing. Oh. But um, uh, the temperature that you would have to worry about is anything over about 135, 140, um, but the packing can handle it, um, but it can get pretty hot pretty quick. Uh, in some cases, it can only take 30 seconds and you're, and you're producing steam in, at, at that unit. The key on packing is don't over tighten it. It's like peanut butter. You can get it in. It's hard to get it out. And uh, so once you adjust it in, coming back out is, is, is tough. A lot of times it'll stick in and it'll overheat and it'll produce steam. Now, what do you do if it does steam? Uh, say if you're doing a 10-minute run, if it steams up, turn it off. And then you get five minutes in, you say, okay, let's let it cool. When it cools, when it when it gets hot, it expands. And then you cut off the water supply. So you turn it off, let it cool a little bit, and you'll see the water start coming back up. And you'll turn it back on and run the next five minutes. And generally, you're okay. Um, that's kind of the way that you know we look at it. But the less you mess with packing, the, the, the cooler it's going to run. I have more problems with uh, the Navy guys that are, are used to adjusting it to get that eight drops per minute. And that brings up another point. How much is the flow? How much is 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 what's right? The NFPA says one drop per second, which would be 60 drops per minute. The Navy would go with six to eight drops per minute. And that's an old standard. But that's with people fiddling with it. And uh, with fire pumps, we don't want to fiddle with any of this stuff. So if you have a steady stream of water coming out, and uh, you're keeping the temperature cool, that's really more important than the how many drops per minute. So avoid doing the drops per minute and just go with um, uh, keeping the, the glands cool in that area. Oh, Hopefully great. that answers the that, question. That I is think I gave you more information. Excellent yeah. advice. Well appreciated yeah. for anybody that's watching. Because you know, the first thing you, you see, like if a guy's like, oh, it's, it's dripping too much, I'm just gonna tighten it. Yeah, when when you do that, you're you're in trouble. So, what do you do if you if you're like, oh, okay, it's too much water, you just leave it alone? Uh, well, there's a couple things you can do. Some of the pumps have little valves. Uh, they go, you know, there's a little copper line on. Yeah, on right, pump. Right, They go that. from the top to the bottom. Aurora has some that are internal. Uh, Patterson has the the little you know uh, the little uh, you know copper lines with the valves. If if any of them have the copper lines with the valves, you adjust the valves first. How would you go about doing that? Uh, well, if it's spraying out, is really when I when, when you turn and this is spraying everywhere. Okay, and you're like tighten them bolts, you know. Yeah, so. no, you <laughs> just you put a rag over it. Yeah, and then you worry about it later. <laughs> now I can't tell you how many uh, annual tests that I do, and I never touch the packing, and it never seems to be a problem. And uh, but if you start fiddling with stuff, you know, you will. Now if it's spraying out, you got to do something with if it's spraying out if it's getting on the floor. And the way to go about it is if they have the little valves, you just turn off the valves and see if that adjusts it. Now, in saying that, you want to make sure that you're not pulling off of a ground storage tank. Those little valves aren't aren't there for adjusting on packing. They're there uh, for the, um, uh, it's an important to have that pressure line down to the, the boxes if, you, if you're running a ground storage tank. Okay. Or if you have real low suction pressure, if it's down under you know 20 psi so that's something that so the code says 20 psi like you should never test that's a whole different subject but we can yeah. get into that yeah okay all right um or if you're you want to talk about the other thing or... no it, you know that 20 psi is a good one so yeah so yeah. i teach everybody okay everybody even the apprentices anybody that i talk to about right. churning the i do free engineering classes okay um I tell them do not ever let it go, but below, below the 20. 20. Right. Yeah. It's good advice. Do I take that advice? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just about every fire, every fire, every fire pump that I test, 
if it's going below 20, I continue with the test and, and I do it. And I'm not too worried about it now. It, but if you're talking to employees or anyone in the company, yes. When you you drop below 20 uh, or 30, some some municipalities use 30 PSI, you, you want to follow that rule and you want to turn it off. Now, what are they worried about? They're worried about contamination of the water supply. And 20 PSI or 30 PSI at the pump flange uh, once it gets past the backflow preventer and on the city side, if you have 20 at the fire pump, that's going to be like 40 over or even 30 at the at the city line. So uh, that's why I, you know, continue the test. But you don't want normal folks uh, going anything beyond 20. Beyond 20 is is uh, enough to where you say stop it. And I agree with what you're saying. Um, now. Most of the time that I'm uh, testing pumps, I'm there to do the internal ins inspection and a retest and find out where their problem is and, and why they have a problem. So you can't and, really uh, stop? No, I, I mean, I go. I, I, I'll go down. I'll pull it uh, down to negatives. And I've never had a collapsed pipe. Um, I did have one pipe that blew out, but it was due to temperature. And it wasn't. It was a PVC <laughs> suction pipe. Yeah. And it um, they didn't have the casing relief valve set properly. And the pump room got up to about 200 degrees. What? And at the Whoa. the water uh, got so hot that it melted the PVC pipe. And uh, once the PVC got hot, then it expanded. This is underground. And it expanded uh, and then blew out. And then you had um, about 1,500 gallons a minute going oh underneath, the, underneath terrible. The, the pump room floor. And the whole building started to sink. What? Say, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Jeez, <laughs> I would freak out. Yeah, one of those six thousands. That's uh, that's yeah. wild. That's, that that's wild. a story. Yeah. And and that brings up uh, another major issue with uh, with fire pumps. You know what? What causes them here. to goof up? And it's that little itty bitty case relief valve that's not adjusted properly. So uh, that's something I tell them too. So. When they do a churn or any kind of test, you have to make sure that the case and relief is open. Number one. If number it doesn't, one. you shut off always. Some pumps can can generate uh, steam within five minutes if that case and relief valve is not set. I did one that was uh, had a discharge pressure of 600 psi. I think it's Whoa. probably the highest in the United States. 600. And it would it would produce steam in less than one minute if if I did not did not have enough cooling water to. Keep but it, it has to be. Cool. I mean, it's pumping, right? Yeah. But you have to remember that when when you're testing a pump and you're not flowing any water and you have a, say, 700 horsepower driver, it's going to generate um, a lot of friction. It's like a butter churn in the in the in the pump. And so it's sitting there. It's consuming about 150, 200 horsepower worth of heat. That's what it's generating. So if you don't let that water, uh, the hot water out and let cold water come in to cool the pump. It can it can get your temperatures way up really quick. And what are what are some of the uh like if you go if someone's going into a pump room and they there is not a case in relief, is that okay in some cases? No, no. Uh, it, well, the, the only ones you, you won't have a problem with is slow speed, low pressure ones. And would that in be which like case, a vertical? Um, no, no. Virtually, you have to have a case in relief on every single one. But I have seen them to where the case and relief valve was stuck, and it, and yet it would run for a while, and it wouldn't heat up. But essentially, it's the how many horsepower is the driver, and then uh, can it radiate enough heat to keep the pump cool? No, no you're saying well, so. The vertical turbine, not... the vertical turbine doesn't need one, does it? No, uh, no, they really don't. They need uh, um, like an air release valve, yes. so when it comes on, it 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 blows all, all the air out. But you're right. That's that's one, you know, one pump that doesn't need it because it has the cooling water. You got me nervous because we just put one of those in. We had no case in relief, and I kept on asking. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. You're but it good. did have that vent. So there are, there are and then, and then when the pump shuts off, that vent allows all the water to come down and out. So it's always empty right there. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Right. And it's just. And, and, and uh, you know, some of those, was it an electric, uh, Bobby, or what? Yeah, th uh, 300 PSI. 1500 okay. GPM. So if it was electric, then they have those uh, those little balls in there, nice non-reverse ratchet at the top. No, oh, yeah. And they normally make a lot of noise, and you know you hear a lot of clunks going on. You say, "Aye." It's uh, this one. This one sounds great. Now we put it together. Patterson came down, help us put it together, and they put we put all, all right, those so... bearings in at the end. It was uh, 
It was pretty cool. It was cool to watch. We had to build yeah, it in the good. room because we couldn't crane it in. Oh my god! Really? Now, how 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 tall was the uh, how tall was the boat? Uh, I, I, I want to say it went. To, I want to say it was like twenty feet, nineteen feet. We had eight. We had good. eight. Uh, we had eight. Um, bowls. Balls. Yeah, eight of those on there, and then yeah, we had impulse, two yeah. two right. flange pieces that were probably seven foot. And so we had to put it down and put it all together, two chain falls, and then lower the second one down and connect it to the next one. I got videos of the whole thing. It was it was crazy. To, it was crazy to do. Man, and, that's uh, cool. Did it, you it runs good. That? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was oh. there. I mean, I was I was um, general foreman of the project, so I more or less watched. I was yeah. running around. There was Shame there was twenty other guys on the job that day. So was, there was uh, oh. we had one sprinkler fitter in the room. So for me to just hang out there all day, um, I took a lot of lot of photos though of that whole thing happening. Did you have to give anybody any almonds? Y'all take lunch or? Yeah, uh, so on on that on that job um, we took break. Yeah. On that job we took yeah. break. Yeah, on a big job. So we Bobby, took break. so when he's uh, he's general foreman. So when okay. he has an apprentice or anybody working under him, he doesn't let anybody stop for lunch. <laughs> and then sometimes he has like he has a box of crackers, like protein <laughs> crackers, individual. Uh, you know, from what yeah, you yeah, get it yeah, for right. your salad at a restaurant, here's a yeah. bucket of them. Okay. So if someone complains to say, "Here's some crackers, keep working," he's he does that to everybody. The slave driver. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, we take breaks. Well, it's he's lying. kind of he's funny, lying. Bobby, but yeah, I'm uh, kind of partially. I'm, yeah, I'm not, kind of I'm kind of <laughs> the same way. I when I start working, I I will not stop for lunch either, and so it it bugs me when everyone uh, I'm on these particular jobs where they're. They're taking off for lunch. I said, "Where did everyone go?" Right. And I said, yeah, "Oh, man. good. Now I can get some work done." Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm the same way. Just let's get it done and go home. Now, have, we, have we got any more questions? We should be getting tons of questions. Huh? I know, but yeah, I was, I'm we, so intrigued with you guys. The 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 thing is, it's crazy. There's there's a million things I could read right now. Where do you want to start? Uh, okay. uh, I don't know if they're questions though. These ones are like stories. I to come to... You guys yeah, gonna ask questions? Ask oh. questions. Let me see this film can go. Well, so we have, we over have here, stories if you want to. Oh, so he said that this guy's have, saying the code book, NFPA 25 inspector says the code book says it can't get hotter than 120 degrees. That that's was good. That, yeah, that's a good rule. Yeah. Uh, now, if if it's uh, yeah, so let's let's go with 120. That's if, fine. If it's producing and, steam, uh, I'm failing it because the packing at that point is nine out of ten shot. Do you agree with that? Uh, if it's producing steam, what was that? If, if it's, it's producing, producing steam, steam, I'm failing it because the packing nine out of ten is probably shot. Um, it depends on how how long it's been doing it. Um, you know, I I've been at uh, uh, commissionings to where the packing came in, you know, kind of tight from the manufacturer, and it produces steam if you turn it off and loosen it up. Yeah, you shouldn't have a problem. So when you but, say loosen it up, you mean by the breath? Yeah, loosen up, uh, loosen up the the glam bolts. You know, the, the glam you bolts. loosen them sometimes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, it it depends. So, sometimes I arrive at a job site and someone has already you know pressurized the pump and it was leaking too much and they adjust the nuts, which you really should never do. Anymore. Yeah, you don't want to adjust the nuts unless the pump is running. Now the um um. Uh, the steam thing, um, you could actually pull out the outer ring of packing and look at under underside, and if it's glazed, well, then it's toast. So uh, it depends on the type of packing that they're using. Some of the pump manufacturers use Teflon impregnated. Some use graphite um, packing, and uh, the graphite packing is much cheaper than the Teflon, and you'll have more issues with uh, different types of packing that they use. The Teflon packing, if you steam it, it'll it'll glaze and it looks like um, it's it's it loses all its lubrication qualities. And when you press it in, it won't do anything. It'll just allow, allow the leakage to come right on through. But uh, when you pull out a ring and then you turn it uh, to where the it was running against the shaft, it looks like fish scales. So you, you know it's toast. Okay. Right. You want some lemonade? Yeah, sure. All right, so he's Thank saying you, that, has anyone seen yeah. a low-pressure switch that looks like a sensing line that can turn off the pump? All right, say that again. Has anyone seen a low-pressure switch that looks like a sensing line and it can turn off the pump? 
Hmm. I haven't seen that. A sensing line pressure Usually switch the sensing lines for turning on that can pump. turn off the pump. All right, so um, I've seen it where they have a, a valve with a sensing line that goes back to the suction, but that's all. That's a suction control valve, but it's not uh, connected electrically to anything. Now, why would you want to do that? You could you could have that set up um, to where you could turn it off, uh, and again, it goes back to your twenty psi. Yeah, uh, where you, uh, but if you have a normally they do it with a control valve which is uh, interactive. In other words, if the suction pressure, um, it'll regulate the flow at 20 PSI. So it'll allow flow to go into the system to fight the fire, but it won't turn off the pump. It just kind of regulates the flow and it'll, it'll stop uh, the volume of flow uh, to maintain that city pressure of 20 PSI. Yeah, he says we have, no, Steve says we have pumps that have pressure sustaining valves. It's kind of like what you said. Kevin says never use ready Buffalo packing. Okay. Oh my goodness. Ooh. It's terrible. Well, and I have to remember I, I worked for Ready Buffalo uh -oh. <laughs> back in the uh, early 80s. And Dr. Reddy was a good friend of mine. Uh, now his packing was absolutely the worst packing you've ever had. <laughs> it's horrible packing. So I, I agree with Kevin. Yeah, don't use Ready Buffalo. If if you have a Ready Buffalo pump, typically when I would do a startup on a Ready Buffalo. I would pull out their outer two rings and put my packing in. And yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, the, uh, it's terrible. Not good. Huh? Now, uh, the person that uh, that sold Dr. Reddy on those uh, on that on his packing was a uh, was a pump rep up in Chicago, and he loved that packing. But uh, he's the only person that ever loved it. Dr. Reddy <laughs> never would switch it. I tried to get him to switch it quite a bit, but no, he never would. Now, Dr. Reddy is no longer with us. He passed away last year. So, oh, yeah. But he was now he was a good friend. If you were the, how can you tell? Let's say that you you got your one hundred, and you got your two hundred from the readings. Okay. Okay. Um, you mean discharge suction? Yeah. Right. You, okay. you you hook up your flow busters. You get your hundred. You get your one fifty. Okay. And then, in what cases can the pump still fell if you get your readings flow wise uh we have to remember um that all you really have to get is your 100 percent if you're are you talking about with this with the city pressure city pressure okay so if the city pressure goes down and you have to stop the test and you were at 101 percent you you can pass that pump okay i've okay. heard that before so you can stop and you did a successful test and the city water is saved because it didn't go below 20 or 30, whatever, right, whatever right. That, that number is. And yeah, yeah, you're okay. And even with NFPA, they'll they'll say, yes, you're okay. Now, if you're 99%, no, you know, officially no. Now, realistically, yeah, because you might be off a little bit on your, it's a flow test, for goodness sakes. So yeah. You might be off for four, five percent. Well, of course. You can make a judgment call. Now, one thing that we're supposed to be doing when we do annual, annual flow testing is where you have to generate two curves. One curve is uh, is the pump good, and the other curve is does it meet the system demand? And that's a whole different curve. That's where you you keep the city pressure in. And uh, so I, and whenever I do annual tests, I generate two curves: one with the city pressure and not adjusted with speed, and then the other one to compare the pump with uh, what it was when it was brand new. Now, at least in in, in the state of Georgia, uh, no one's yeah, I mean, no one checks it on to see whether it meets the original system demand that they designed the, the sprinkler system, and they should be. Now, I don't know about other parts of the country, but I have a feeling they're probably like Georgia to where everyone's, you know, hasn't really been doing what they should be doing on their annual tests. No, and when you, I'm not familiar with the two curves. So when I would do it, I'll get my turn. Yeah. I get my 100%, roll right into my 150. Right. And then call it good. No, you're good, and, and that's and that that tells you whether the pump is matching what it shows on the nameplate, right? That's correct. And that's zero, one hundred, one fifty. For the other curve, you're supposed to look at the placards on the standpipes and say, "Oh, this was system designed for 485 gallons a minute at 65 psi. That's what this standpipe requires." And you go catch all the other standpipes, and they're all different numbers. And then you're supposed to put the little X's on there 
And if your city pressure drops from 80 PSI down to zero or 80 down to 20, you just lost 60 PSI. And perhaps that design of that uh, uh, of the requirement on the placard is no longer being met. That's where if the city pressure drops from new to old, just because the city is dropping their pressure for whatever reason, then that's really when you need to check uh, to see whether you're meeting the system demand. Okay. Because if you think about it, that's what really what we're trying to do. We're uh, two things. One, we want to see if the pump is failing or the pump drops below that 95%. You know, you have, you know, a 5% leeway. And then the other part is, is the building protected? Right. And that's where the system domain comes into right. comes into play. Now, if you were going to give some advice to someone who's just starting fire, fire pump inspections, okay. because they can be intimidating. There's a lot of pump, water's moving, it's loud, lots going yeah, yeah. on, yeah, you're right. high voltage, like that can be super intimidating. You have tons of water being pumped out of the hoses. Yeah. Like, should it be intimidating to them? Uh, I would say it was intimidating me, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, me as well. When I was a printer, I, mean, I was like, whoa. And then you throw in a diesel engine. Yeah. And then you're really <laughs> making noises and you can't shut it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was doing a, um, uh, even, even with experience. Uh, so the first, I was over in Dubai doing a uh, a flow test on a big vertical vertical turbine, just like one you were describing, Bobby. Only I was out in the open. It was a 5,000 GPM uh, fire pump with about an 800 horsepower CAD engine. And uh, I was scared to hit that start button. So I told the little Indian guy, I said, uh, uh, hey, Patel. He said, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. I said, hey, yes or no? I said, I, he said, oh, that's a yes. Okay. Well, go ahead and start that engine. Yeah, and that little guy went over there and just pushed that button. I said, "Well, I'm glad I didn't have to start that." <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. it was funny though. But that particular uh, unit, uh, I actually caught the pump on fire. What? Uh, figure that out. Oh, Vertical gosh. turbine with a gear drive and an 800 horsepower big cat 12 cylinder engine, and uh, uh, you know Patel came over and he says, "Boss, boss." I said, "Yes." He said, "Pump is getting really hot." I said. Uh, it's okay. I was thinking it was packing. So I just let the, I said, it's okay, Patel, go, you go back. Everything's good. And so we were taking more readings and then Patel comes over, boss, boss. I said, what, what Patel? He said, but it's getting really hot. I said, I know you already told me, never were. Uh, <laughs> next time he came over, he said, pump's on fire. Pump's on fire. <laughs> I said, that's silly. You can't catch a pump on fire. Walked over there. Sure enough, it was on fire. So the like, or the diesel or the engine. Yeah, it was the um uh it was <laughs> right there where the packing is at. Oh, that was yeah, on fire. fire. Yeah, so they got a fire, fire extinguisher and sprayed it. They were worried they're gonna get kicked out of the country because they started a fire at it was Dubai Power and Light. Oop, maybe I'm not supposed to but we caught it on fire. Yeah. And it turned out that there was a rubbing uh, of the stainless steel shaft sleeve with a sleeve that was inside the motor and those motors have oil in it and the oil had bubbled up and flowed down the shaft and it had gotten up to about 900 degrees and it, it flashed, uh, uh, flashed into a fire. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. That's super. That's, that's hot. Everything's good. We had to take them. We had to get a big crane. You talked about, you know, re, you know, taking a, one of those vertical turbines out. They're not fun. So we had to get a big crane, pull it out and then fix it and then put it back. Yeah, heavy. so they also have pumps Super that, that they lower it underwater. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Okay, so yeah. it's like that. Yeah, it's, so, it's about 20 foot setting, similar to yours, Bobby, that you were talking about, only a lot bigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's huge. Would you, like say, five, those, would you, you know, say 5,000 GPM? Yeah, 5,000. That was a big one. That's, no. So wow. Justin, Justin that, says that, uh, they do the net pressure and flow not corrected then the curve corrected to rpm and pipe size when we commission pumps we verify the flow and pressure matches the placards on the risers like will said yeah got someone and so the, the one uh, you know the one the, the uncorrected one is the one that you compare to your placards uh on your system demand points and then the corrected one uh, you need it corrected because that's the way that the pump curve was actually generated on the nameplates and those nameplate points uh some of the pump companies um 
they they put NFPA numbers. They don't put the actual pump number on it, uh, which was kind of confusing. But um, that's essentially what you're supposed to do. Just compare it to whatever the whatever it is on the on the actual pump nameplate. People never check alignment no, no. in Connecticut before an annual flow. What was that? I didn't hear it. Say again. People never check the alignment in Connecticut before an annual flow. That's from Kevin. Do you always check alignment before an annual flow? Either. It uh, never happens. You're supposed to. Now, uh, I didn't do it. I, I knew that you're supposed to, but uh, that was somebody else's job. That wasn't my job. Right. Just because it's not easy to do, and it wasn't fun, and you have to take those stupid coupling guards off. So I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm here to do the flow test. So I would put on my report, uh, the alignment is to be checked by others. And so that went for, I guess, about 15 years. I, I, I towed that line until finally um, the FM people came up and they brought up the alignment issue. And um, so then I got to thinking, I said, well, shoot, I'm doing seminars and teaching people. So I better I better do what I should be doing. And if it's not me, who is it? If it's not the pump guy that does the pump test, then who's going to do it? Uh, we don't have mill rights anymore, so that that whole you know uh, that whole industry is is gone as far as testing fire pumps. Uh, so now I will not test a, a a pump annually without checking the alignment first. And what we're finding in in the Atlanta area is I would say about sixty percent, sixty or seventy percent of every pump that we test uh, needs a realignment which is just a sad state of affairs. But it goes back to when I first, uh, one of the first first jobs that I, when I was being trained in the field, uh, I went with a pump rep and uh, in, in Georgia here, and he showed me how he aligned it. And he got some banding material and said, here, we just put this stuff in here. And they just kind of look at it and do the straight edge. And um, so there wasn't any precision involved. And then, unfortunately, a lot of the pump people in the state of Georgia that was installing things 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, they wouldn't even check it. Uh, and and they are the ones that are responsible uh, for uh, the equipment, for providing the warranties and stuff. Now, the contractor, the installing contractor, is the one that's supposed to do all this work. Back years ago, they would have mill rights working for them, but uh, they don't do that anymore. And so no one really has been checking them. Right. So that's why we're finding that, you know, 60, 70%, 80% of the jobs we're, we're now testing, they're, they're all misaligned. So it was a good thing that FM Global brought this to light. And if you have any FM Global uh, guys out there that are insured jobs by FM Global, they will require you to give them a uh, alignment uh, report or at least certify that, that the alignment is good. That's what Steve's saying right now in the chat, is that his FM Global customers do it annually. He subs it out, and they do a laser alignment for better reports. That's good. Well, um, he should do that for maybe the first year and look and see how much that the laser guy charges and then do it himself. Uh, he can he could do that as, just as easy as himself. Uh, there was a company in Virginia that, Steve? that came down to do you hear that, Steve? You yeah. need to do it yourself. What do you? What are you not doing Steve, it yourself, you do it Steve? Yourself. It's very easy. Um, you know, I when, when I do a seminar, it's one of the days is concerning alignment, and um, it doesn't take much to to train someone, especially with a laser. Now, it it'll take a little while for you to figure out the little tricks that people use, but essentially, it's just timing. Uh, the procedures are there, and you just take you know take your time and bingo. Uh, you can be just as good as that guy that uh, comes in and does it. Yeah. So, no, that's a it's a tremendous money maker, uh, especially down here. I would say that maybe fifteen to twenty percent of what I do now every year is laser realignments, and I've tried been trying to get the sprinkler contractors to buy their own lasers. A few of them here in the Atlanta market have bought lasers. Uh, they would pay me to do the alignment, get them started. And then I've actually trained several of their folks to to do it. It takes business away from me, but that's okay. You know, they're 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 adding value for their for their customers and adding skills for their workers. It's really nice. That's very important. That's why we also um, we tell everybody anything, including getting trained or any certifications. 
to go ahead and and do it and do not it to yeah wait on their their yeah uh company to send them to yeah as but to much go and knowledge get it as they can yeah. yeah 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 you know if you think about it um um you know where the problem comes in today is that now the companies have to be ul listed and before they weren't and people were using woods companies they were using lovejoys um they were using other companies that were real tolerant on misalignment but the couplings that they're using today are ul listed and they're some of them are very very tight on their alignment criteria the rotex is the is the leading one most all the pump people are using them and the rotex you have to get it within five thousandths of an inch and it is it is nasty if you get out to thirty thousandths on a rotex coupling you will shake that building all apart and the pump will not last more than two or three or four years without uh, causing bearing issues and vibration issues inside that pump room. So uh, the couplings that they're using that the pump people are putting on there, uh, you have to get them really tight. Even the Patterson and the and the Falk coupling, uh, Clark also has the same you know Falk design. I think their patents ran out, so everyone copied them. And uh, the fault coupling, when you install it, you have to get it under eight thousandths. So even the fault coupling is requiring people to 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 get very very tight tolerances on it. And you can't hardly do that with uh, straight edges and dial indicators. You can, but it's the timing. It takes so much more time on it. If you use a laser, then you take a picture of that laser, and then you're you're clean as far as your um, um, your responsibilities and you can prove that you actually did a good, good job it's not like you you have the guy that turns around and spits and says yeah it's good and um, <laughs> you have to take his word for it right? so how do you feel about um i'm curious so let's say the pump has a loop and then what are your thoughts on flow meters flow meters oh flow meters uh you, you can't trust them until you can verify them Well, they're never verified. Well, what I'm saying by verifying, for example, I'm going to do a test on this Saturday. It's calibrated and all that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, NFPA requires you to to have it uh, calibrated once. Every year. Uh, yeah, or every third year. Every if third. If you're going to use them, the problem comes in. You're going to calibrate the the meter and not the element. Now they say, well, the elements don't change, but in Georgia we get a lot of corrosion buildup inside our pipes. So yeah, the elements change, and so you can you can calibrate the meter, but how about the element? Uh, are you going to calibrate that? To calibrate the element, you got to take the whole thing out and send it to a test lab. So you can um, you know run if you if you can run a header with your regular hose valves, you run that on that third year, and um, then you can compare it to your flow meter results, and so you can kind of calibrate it in the field like that. Oh, they're Whatever screwed. The one what we just did because our flow meter goes back into the tank, no access to it. So how are they going to? We just did one on that turbine yeah, we were talking right. about, and it go it it's uh it's a tank fed, right. so, tank uh, fed, and yeah, it, you don't it, have a choice. It goes back yeah, into the yeah. tank, and you can run it. It's a save water. Yeah, yeah. It's green. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to have a choice. Uh, you you just have to trust it, and uh, uh, if on that third year. You can actually take that and um, you take the uh, take the meter out and and take the element out, but um, NFPA doesn't say that you have to take the element out. But I'm saying in reality, you have those two things to you know to worry with. Now, uh, there's ways around that, so to speak. But most of your flow meters in uh, that are installed are not reading correctly, and because they're 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 not installed correctly. If you give it that five upstream and three downstream or 10 upstream and, you know, six downstream. If you follow the procedures, some of them read very, very well. And they're, they're very accurate, but most of the, the pump installations, the problem is that the fire pump is only this wide. And so the sprinkler fitters are just going to, uh, folks are just going to put them in, in a loop and that's not giving the, the flow meter enough room to straighten the water out and to read properly. So uh, whenever I see a flow meter, and if they have a header as well, then I'm using the header. Now this weekend, I have to test four pumps. And last year, I they actually installed a header because they were having issues with the, with the performance. Uh, the pumps are 20 years old 
and so they the the pumps were suspect and several of the folks had gone in and said you have to replace your pumps and i said well it's probably not the pumps probably the meters so one of the meters that we were testing uh, it was going in a loop and i just rotated them we loosened up the victolic connections and we rotated it 90 degrees so that the taps were in a different position and we got different results just from where the taps were at because the water would swirl around and was uh concentrating on one side of the flow meter and giving us uh, a different reading. Wow. So we ended up recommending that they put in a header line. They did. We tested all four pumps, and three out of the four were just fine. And wow. uh, so this year, um, you know, I have a uh, a record of what uh, the meter was versus our header line. So this year, I'm, I'm going to use the meter and not have to put my hoses out. Yeah. So... Um... <laughs> Take advantage. I think it was two episodes ago we had a, a pump question and it was it was quite interesting. So when he flowed the fire pump with hoses, okay, and then closed the discharge to the building, okay, versus doing another same inspection with hoses with the discharge to the building open, he got drastically different. Okay. Um, so officially you shouldn't get a, a a change, but will you have a little bit of a change? Yeah. But you have to let the water like 80 PSI. Yeah, no, it's, you know, um, that, that should not happen. Now, if you think about it, um, you're deadheading all the water in the building. Okay. Right. But if you open up a valve and that building is 175 PSI and, and you drop it down to 150, you're going to have some water come out of that building because it's going to match whatever that, that, discharge pressure so when you're at the end of the pump curve you're really low and so all that water in the building that was at uh you know water doesn't go anywhere but the pressure drops mm-hmm. um and and that's it but it's a static pressure so it really shouldn't change right that's there's what i was thinking something else was going on what do you think that test yeah that's what i said i think yeah. there was something else going no. on yeah. the 80 psi is a lot i even reached out no, to no, no. an engineer friend of mine and said hey what do you think and and she now you could yeah. you could you could determine that um take another pump and you know you play with it and if you're sitting there flowing water and then you just open up that discharge valve during the test you'll see that it shouldn't make any difference at all now if, if everyone uh, made 80 psi then i want you to call me yeah <laughs> yeah because that's something we've never seen because i'll come out there and figure it out and i yeah. say oh man something new Gladly, <laughs> 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 it took six thousand and one. right right <laughs> the pump guru is going to come to you steve says that yeah. fm told the customer no more flex couplings are allowed is that true uh, yeah yeah that, that is true now it, Remember that they're all flexible, every single one, even the ones that uh, FM likes. But what FM is talking about is the ones that are that have elements, woods, uh, coupling, is, uh, you know, particularly. They had poor FM had uh, they lost a lot of money, I think 30 or 60 million dollars on two two particular jobs to where the coupling element sheared out and there wasn't any metal behind it. So the elements uh, melted or they sheared, basically due to misalignment, I think. Yeah. And the the pump, uh, you know, the motor was spinning, and the pump quit quit working, and the buildings burned down. So they said no more, you know, plastic couplings or no more elements that don't have a metal backup. So if you think about the jaw coupling, uh, you know, like I say, they're all flexible. The jaw coupling, if the element uh, deteriorates and melts or, you know, is old and cracks and goes out, then you have metal uh, backup. And now the woods, uh, woods coupling is, is gone with FM Global, but uh, the Falk coupling is a steel flex coupling. It has a, you know, it allows some flexibility, but it has a, a, a steel spring. So those are acceptable. And uh, see the other one, um, the Rotex, the Rotex, is just like the jaw coupling where it has a little flexible element. If you lose the flexible element, then it, it's metal on metal. I've had them to where um, on jaw couplings that uh, the element was old and it's rubber and it cracked and flew away. Uh, the alignment was horrible and it was running metal on metal. And the customer didn't realize that, you know, having a decibel level of 150 
was uh, they thought it was normal. And I walk in the pump room and I said, what is going on? I said, yeah, this thing should not be making any noise. And we took the coupling guard off and it was metal on metal. And uh, so they'll they'll make a racket, but they'll still work. <laughs> and so that's that's why FM Global came up. But it, it was a good thing. Now, be perfectly honest with you, my opinion is that the Woods Coupling is a great coupling. And those two locations uh, to where the coupling sheared out were uh, it's probably due to misalignment. Or I had one that the caser relief valve was turned off and it heated up the pump to three 300 degrees. And so the shaft was at 300, maybe 350. I don't know how hot it was, but it actually melted the uh, the element. The element got so hot that it just kind of, you know, melted and it, it spun like, you know, uh, it came all apart. And so it was misalignment plus the temperature hit that woods coupling and it um, and it failed. But jeez, wow. now I've had them uh, with question. that case relief valve. It goes goes back yeah. to the case relief valve. I had it to where there was one job. Uh, where the the fireman would call the pump ran for three days. What? No one knew it. Uh, the alarms didn't go off, and when the firemen were finally called, because uh, they finally had an alarm go off, and so they called and they came to the pump room, and fortunately, you know, they they had one of those temperature things, and they put a temperature thing on the door. The door was three hundred and twenty degrees. The door going into the pump room. This is an outside door into the pump room, and so they went out, got all the gear came back in and then they blew open the door and black smoke came out. They fired their fire extinguishers everywhere and they finally found the pump in the corner and there was not a fire. It was just hot. And the pump Whoa. was completely black. Uh, it turned the red the red paint black and uh, just sitting there steaming. And uh, I got there about an hour later and I looked at the floor and it's all covered with lights. I said, what did you guys do here? They said, oh, we couldn't see anything with our equipment. It was just black as black as it could be. And uh, so we just sprayed our fire extinguisher. So we, we couldn't tell where the fire was at. And then when <laughs> we got to the fire pump, we realized that there wasn't a fire in here. It was just this thing was at about 900 degrees. And uh, so, and it was, you know, cooling off at the time. But it's crazy. Wow. Like I say, that, I, I think that was like 4,442. I think that's. They're made to, they're yeah. made to run until yeah. they it takes fail. A while, it takes a while to find one of those. But, but I'll be honest with that overheating with the case relief valve, I'll probably see maybe 10 of those a year you know it's that's a regular recurring fault you yeah. know amongst it now case and relief valves you know it depends on what area of the country you're in down here in georgia we have a lot of oxide buildup on the inside and there's only one case and relief valve that works in our area down in florida you might have calcium buildup and again you, you'll probably have one that works and it's that designed by clay valve the clay valve 55l it's uh, probably the only valve that uh, I found that just works. Right. It, it doesn't stick. But you have uh, the FWC. Patterson used it for 20 years, um, and they stick. There. That's the my my second choice. You have uh, several of the other valves. Just about all of them will stick, just based on you know our water down here, and I'm sure in other parts of the country. So the caser relief valves should be replaced. If if they don't, it's very very important. That, yeah, I agree. I don't. So I do not do field adjustments. I just tell yeah. them to replace it. Yeah, and and that's it. Uh, I used to fiddle with. I used to sit there and clean them out, and I'd say, "Oh, there's a little rock there. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at this buildup, man." And then and then I'd lose the spring. You know that was <laughs> yeah. looking on that nasty floor, looking for the darn spring, and I'd spend an hour on that stupid thing. So I said, "No." So I was in a room. stuck. I say. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was in a room, and it, at this time, I was, I guess I was senior level inspector, but there was another inspector uh, that was above me, Yeah, and um, he went to go adjust it while the pump oh, yeah. was running. Okay, well, it's all right. You and then he that. ran out of threads. And it, <laughs> so then yeah. it's shooting water through there. I'm, uh, I'm running, and he's shutting off valves. <laughs> He adjusted Ooh, too much. Too much. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, you know, they, um, the the adjustments on them, typically if you have one that's stuck and, and you loosen it and adjust it properly, you know, doing your job, um, and then you turn the, the, the thing off, it, it'll leak. And so that's your issue. 
So nowadays, I will not touch them. I do the same thing you do. I'll put it on the report. Needs a new case relief, Absolutely. and I don't. I don't even mess with them. Pump failed. Yeah. 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 That's good. Absolutely. Yeah. Who's coming on uh, next? So on Steve's Thursday. asking, and this is a good question: Should the fire pump go okay. to an alarm or to a supervisory if it's running? If it's running, my goodness, you know, call the supervisory. fire supervisory. Supervisory. I would say a thousand percent. Really? You say alarm? I would say alarm. I so like alarm I, too. I think. So I believe technically, it's, it should be supervisory. The, yeah, most of them in Boston are like the fire. The fire pump running because, is a supervisory, but if it's running, it's it should be a, an alarm, right? Why is it running? Well, no, because it's not an alarm indicating device technically. So what a fire pump is doing on the sensing line is sensing water drop, water pressure loss, right? right. But it's not a sprinkler head opening up. Sprinkler head is an alarm indicating device. Yeah, now, no, will I they hear have you. A, now will they have a, a you know a flow switch somewhere in the line? If there's inside a, the pump? No, no. This no, is so, yeah. If there was something, yeah, so the flow switch would be the fire alarm. Right, so in the if, if they don't have any flow switches, then do you think that they should use it as as an alarm? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay, yes. Good. Yes, I do. So that would be their your caveat, and I would agree with you. Now, if it was all supervisory, it would eliminate a lot of a lot of false alarms to the darn fire department because I'm yeah. sorry for them. Yeah. Does that mean yeah. for the kick on? You can have a bad check valve. You can have all these things. So I really think, and um, I believe it's, I don't know if it's in code anywhere. I'm not a 72 guy, but um, I believe it should be a supervisory. So supervisory is when someone touched something and it just, and it, it just the panels it beeping and the panels just beeping supervisory right. trouble so that trouble pump could, that pump could be down there running wrong. for three days and then it's it's it, it catches on fire and because some people just go and silence that supervisory whereas if the alarm went off you'd get some some people well, there that's to come why, investigate right right that's why training's so important you need they need to know engineers everybody needs to know the liability that they are taking when they hit that silence button. The big money maker up in the Northeast um, is when the dry systems trip in the winter and, and it doesn't, and something happens where the alarms don't go off and the in-house guy just silences it or he silences that low air signal. That's what it is. The low air signal will come in as a supervisory. In-house guy silences it. System trips. It's 10 degrees outside. See you later. That happens yeah, often. I'm, yeah, I, I can imagine. You guys have to worry about a lot of freezing. Uh, we do down here. We definitely uh, did recently. Remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, it was Man. it was amazing in January. I feel sorry for you guys. We were all out yeah, there. That was bad. Or it was good. Either it was either bad or good. Well, it was it was. Let's say there was so much. All right. So you don't know the story. So on that day, I rolled out to a high rise, okay. pulled in uh, a domestic line on the penthouse, busted six or eight inch. It's going through the twenty-seven floors, oh. all through the parking deck and the and the okay. atrium everywhere, right? right? So I go through and and I've done the, I've sold the inspection there, so I also know where all the equipment is because I walked it. So you have to go outside and shut off the main. We, okay. it took us forever. We shut off the fire. We shut off the domestic, and then I leave, and I turn left downtown Atlanta. There's this other high-rise, alarms going off and maintenance are running around i turn left and there's a parking deck that's just the dry systems oh, the water's running and i and i keep driving and then there's another horns and strokes and then i get a call from my friend who's a who's a city of atlanta fire marshal he's like man the trucks are not stopping we're filling up and we're going to the next freeze wow. all yeah, of, it was like mess. it was crazy all right we got a detail we got a detail well question. it's never yeah. been that cold in, no, in Georgia, no, because it, the wind chill brought it down. Yeah, that was bad, and it's yeah. never been that cold yeah. ever. Yeah. Volt, I've we never, se I've day, never boy. seen you before, Volt. Yeah, we froze up here in the Northeast too. I worked, uh, worked around the clock to get everything frozen. Everything, it was negative twenty. It was like negative twenty-five up here for a long time. So much stuff froze. 
We have. Yeah, um, he was inviting me out. I was like, is no this way. a new new no comp? Way. I don't know if I've ever seen you before, Volt. So he's got a question. He's got a diesel that's throwing an overspeed alarm. It's a Clark diesel matted FD4 Metron. What's the best method for troubleshooting a faulty overspeed sensor on a Clark diesel? Clark is telling me to uncouple the diesel from the pump and hit the start button to check the RPM. Metron is telling me to check the overspeed contact output 3 and neutral 11. Check for voltage above 12 volt and then I'll know the fault is coming from the engine. My thought is an uncoupled pump on a diesel would throw an overspeed because it's attached to zero load. So right. is it a, uh, uh, but it is a, it is a Clark, so it's fairly new engine. Uh, what is the model number on the engine? Got is the it model. a 4045? He put Clark diesel matted FD4 Metron. Okay. Mated. All right. Uh, you know, uh, let's see if he can respond, whether it's a, uh, uh, what size engine. Uh, Clark used a, uh, um, uses several engines. They have, you know, uh, John Deere engines. They have Perkins. Uh, in the past, they've even used Detroit diesel engines and uh, um, some cats. So let's see which 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 engine it is. But just in general, uh, that overspeed switch, if it's on the one of the newer engines that has, uh, you know, electronic, um, you know, circuit boards, you know, connected to it, it's a it's a whole different thing to diagnose. The older engines, which this is not, the older engines, uh, the speed switch would actually go out, and then you could replace it. It was a mechanical switch, and you could uh, swap them out. It's five the years old. It's how many years old? It's five years old. Five. Yeah, see, that's that's a new one. It would have electronic stuff. The Clark people are pretty good. I would I would listen to what the Clark people, the, the Metron guy is just saying, uh, am I getting a valid sin signal? And you would uh, know that uh, if if you have to reset it at the engine, um, because if uh, the only way to reset, let's say to reset it, you have to reset it, um, resetting it at the engine. Um, I can't remember whether you have to reset it at the engine too as well. But uh, both those, you know, he's he's done his homework. He's called up the folks. He's saying and, JW6H. Uh, question mark. Question mark. Question mark. JW6H, maybe that, maybe that's the uh, serial number. It's probably a JU, JU6H, maybe. JU6H. But, uh, no, that uh, you know that that would be a John Deere engine, I think. And uh, I, I've had that happen a couple times where I've gotten the call uh, repeatedly uh, from you know some uh, you know some stores uh, to where uh, that alarm would go off. Never really did get to the bottom. It doesn't happen that often at least with mine. And in fact, on that one particular engine that I'm thinking of, I haven't had that, that same call in, in a couple of years. So it might be just a, a one-off, but you're right. If um, um, you, when it, when it spins up the pump, the pump is actually going to pull horsepower and it really shouldn't be tripping that overload. I would say it's uh if it happens again, uh, it's a bad circuit board. They can get a, a new circuit board for that, you know, from Clark. Um, but yeah, what, what a, uh, you know, a very unhappy, uh, you know, problem. I, I wouldn't like that. Yeah, Clark <laughs> is telling him to uncouple the diesel from the pump and hit the start button to check the RPM. Uh, that, you know, that that'll do. That means that there's no load on it, and uh, if it if it trips out, well then, uh, I think that what they're trying to do is uh, uh, determine whether it's in their circuit board, um, in you know, in the circuitry, you know, on uh, on their control panel. The pump cranks, it runs for three to five seconds, and then it goes into alarm. Man, that's not good. Um, no. Not good at all. Yeah, I, I would suspect their, their circuit board. You know, if you think about it, that the engine control uh, panel, uh, it's subject to a lot of vibration. And, you know, they have vibration isolators uh, on the on between the control panel and the, uh, and the frame of the engine, uh, assuming that they, they took out that little block of wood that uh, that someone's supposed to remove, <laughs> you know, from shipping, yeah. and uh, so uh, there's a chance that maybe that little block of wood is still stuck up in between there, and that poor thing has been shaking like crazy for five years, and it's finally wore out the darn uh, circuit board, and something finally got loose. 
but um, I, I would have them, uh, you know, you know, check that and, uh, to see uh, if there's a problem with the circuit board and the circuitry. But, uh, you know, do what Clark says. And I think that would kind of expose it because that means that uh, uh, it'll it'll speed up if if you don't have a load on it and it's tripping out on the overload, then there's something wrong. Uh, you know, it might just be set wrong. You know, the setting might have changed. You know, uh, you, that's not something that you can modify. But, you know, Clark should be able to figure it out. You know, talk yeah. to the Clark people. That the, the Clark people are actually really good about uh, things like this. And, and they should be able to help them out. If not, have them call me. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, Volt? That was a great question. That sounds like a uh, that sounds like a terrible issue you're having. And I can't even believe it's been an hour and five minutes. I've just been uh, enjoying listening to you. Yeah, it's been awesome. So uh, we, we if people do have questions, would you want them to contact you with questions? Yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no problem at all. And so what what would be the best I way? Email? I would get in touch with you. Um, email? Uh, yeah, email or call me. Uh, uh, 678, if you want to write down my number, 678-687-1832. That's it. Give them a buzz. And, yeah, uh, I don't mind calls at all. Uh, and if you call in, I'll, and I'm in a pump room, I'll, I'll call you back just as soon as I can. You can also text me. Uh, text me at that line. That's really probably a better way of doing it. Text me and send me pictures. I like pictures. Okay. So, good stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, this has been great. So we're gonna you're gonna have to come on again because uh, I, I think I feel like you got too much knowledge for uh, one hour. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd, I'd I'd love to come back. So just in, in, invite me back, and uh, just make sure that uh, Sarah has some food waiting for me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did she feed you good? What'd she give you? Oh yeah, we got some a gourmet sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> sandwich was great. So we don't get anything regular around here. It was good. You don't know what you're missing, Bobby. Yeah, I'm coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, Volt says he's going there tomorrow at six. So he's gonna figure it. This is Aaron. It's Aaron from HLE. So uh, yeah, we had we had. Uh, it seemed like the viewers were up. Everybody hit the like button before you take off. I'd appreciate it. Um, don't forget like to and subscribe. Uh, subscribe, and you know if you want if you want some merch, you know it's up here. It's up at the top. Dope dust dash and dash tape dot myspreadshop.com. Get a hat like this. Um, and yeah, we we really appreciate you coming on and actually going to Brian's house. That's wicked cool. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So have fun, everybody.